Brought to you by Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, investing in local communities, economies, and a sustainable future. That's the power of global connections. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. Member SIPC. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen with David Gura. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. With us, Dominic Constum. I know David's got a, a series of questions for you, but Dominic, let me... Uh, talk about sterling at 126. Does does Prime Minister May want a weak sterling or a strong sterling, or is she oblivious to it? Oh, well, I think the the, the 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 sort of immediate issue is to have a good trade deal uh, with Europe. That's the biggest concern. And obviously, there, there's been a lot of concern in the financial sector uh, in terms of uh, banks uh, <coughs> moving some kind of operations. Uh, um, potentially uh, out of the UK on, the, on, the, on a bad deal uh, with the, Europe. And I think the way to think about the currency is that if you think there's a better chance you'll get a good deal, sterling doesn't need to be so weak. Uh, the, the, the calls that uh, we have a house, as a house had and have had a, a, of very mm -hmm. weak sterling reflects a concern that the UK would struggle to get a decent deal, perhaps, uh, and on that basis would, would uh, go for a weaker currency. So I don't think there's anything sacrosanct about, you know, whether, where we want sterling or whether the British want sterling. Uh, I think it's an issue of uh, what kind of trade deal are they going to have? And they definitely want a special deal with Europe that uh, highlights the integration of the UK economy with the rest of Europe. Just a moment ago, our, our colleague Ed Ludlow was describing the complicated electoral landscape. This adds a further complication to it. For investors, uh, how much does this, does this matter, having this election here on June the 8th? Well, I think for the UK, it matters a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, I mean the, the, there's also this other element, which I don't think is going to get a lot of play, but without question, people are going to play it. And uh, for the opposition parties, if they can make real inroads uh, against the Tories, despite the polls, uh, then uh, clearly there, there's going to be uh, uh, an argument that this could be a second referendum, if you like, on on on, on, the, on the whole Brexit stuff. Uh, that That's obviously, to some extent, what they're going to try. Remember, the, the complaint on the referendum itself was that a lot of the Labour Party didn't turn up, uh, and they just thought this was not going to happen. And then afterwards, people really question whether the British really understood what they were doing. So this is going to be a, a way of just making that, uh, um, clarifying that. So it's very important. For the rest of the world, obviously, mass is much less. I think mm. France is much more important for Europe. Yeah, well, let me ask you about that. Looking at your most recent note here, you said the, the risks are, they appear to be mispriced. Uh, what do you mean by that? And then sort of, uh, what's your sense of what will happen here? Well, I think the, the there's there's a people when they look at the second round intentions, uh, they, they, there's such a wide gap between Le Pen and Macron or Fillon uh, that people assume it's uh, kind of not important. I think the issue is what does uh, what, what does say Le Pen have to do in the first round to make you uh, uh, be a bit more worried about it given the way that previous polls have gone uh, both in the States and, and the Brexit for example. Uh, so from that perspective uh, the pricing in the volatility markets was uh, between say 5 and 10 percent in both rates and FX was a sort of general view uh, and the idea is that that's probably a bit too low. Uh, 
Uh, although, um, given the way recent polls have gone, you know, maybe uh, uh, it shouldn't be, you know, as high, say, you know, sort of 40, 60 or something. So uh, I think the question you should ask yourself is, what does Le Pen have to get uh, in the first round for you to reprice those risks in the two weeks before the uh, the second round? And in, in our view, you know, anything like that, you know, high 20s and definitely something like 30% would be, you know, would be a big concern because it would get you in the sort of uh, margin of polling era. But for now, it's been such an open election now and she's obviously slipped uh, and Fillon's done a bit better very volatile but remember a lot of people are still undecided I think the last poll I saw was like a third of the electorate is still undecided so um, you know it's going to be interesting How does one and I suppose I'm being coithered by saying how does one how do you position yourself uh, ahead of this uh, of this election well, given all of the risk Well the good news is that uh, given the, uh, various other things going on including the disappointment in, in the states uh, on tax yeah. reform some of the data uh, which uh, hasn't been so good on the consumer side We've got some various forward-looking indicators that make yeah. us a little concerned about the uh, economic outlook. Uh, you can just be long rates because <laughs> this is this is a bit of a risk of trade. Uh, and uh, you know the S and P is 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 quite elevated in our view. Uh, we think the the cheapening recently has been warranted, and I don't think I think it's too early to sort of a, a, a t- you know not have a risk right. a risk of trade. How about this? In our next section, we'll actually talk about your research. That would be <laughs> oh, yeah. that would be what an well, odd thing. Yeah. Are, are, is, is the curve flattening that we're seeing associated with the president of the United States, or are there other things going on? Well, the big curve flattening uh, was, uh, uh, I think, mainly associated with optimism around economic policies post-election in the states and the Fed being able to push yeah. on with their normalization. Uh, and I don't think people really took a, a, a different view in terms of where the terminal funds rate is going to be. So people didn't suddenly say, oh, my God, I thought it was two to three, and now it's going to be four to five. They took a view, it's still two to three. Uh, but the Fed can go a bit more quickly because of uh, things going in the right direction in the states. So what you've seen, uh, what, or uh, ever so slightly, is an attempt to sort of offset, well, uh, unwind some of that flattening. Dominic Constant with us with Deutsche Bank, and he's been a saint today about speaking of United Kingdom, the ramifications to Prime Minister May of the announced June 8 general election. Right now to your research uh, notes, help me with where Chair Yellen is May 3rd. Is the real surprise of the second quarter this is, is this a live May 3rd meeting? meeting is important? Um, <clears throat> I, I mean, it could be important if uh, things... Uh, go very badly in terms of uh, uh, risk assets. Uh, so obviously recently risk assets have been under a bit of pressure, gold's going up. Uh, you could imagine a scenario where the French elections are a shock uh, and uh, the, the uh, Le Pen does very well and markets go into a bit of a tailspin and she could you know, try and, in that sense, she could be a surprise from where we are now. But otherwise, uh, it's too, you know, too soon for her to do anything, I'd say, meaningful, meaningfully different from what the Fed has been laying out. How much has changed since the, the the last meeting, the last rate increase? She looks uh, she looks around at her neighbors in Washington and and uh, strikes me that not a whole lot has has happened. A lot of these promises have not come to to fruition. How concerned is she? How concerned are her? Uh, is the compliment of colleagues there on the FOMC about that? Well, it's interesting because I, I definitely feel that uh, they did more than they might have otherwise intended to do uh, had uh, had the election outcome not been the same. And so they, they've definitely sort of been a, a front running. And and to some extent, they tried to play that down uh, early on after the election, saying, you know, sort of, you know, you know, we'll we'll just sort of, you know, they did obviously talk about fiscal stimulus, at full employment, and that may be a reason to go a bit quicker. Uh, but uh, obviously, we've had nothing. So uh, in, from that perspective, uh, there is a danger that they're ahead of the game. Uh, 
and uh, in in the end, they sort of undermine some of the sort of feel good about the economy and uh, and the equity market if they keep pursuing. As they look at their forecasts, are you looking at yours uh, as well? Are you revising them uh, in any fashion because of, of what's happening or not happening in Washington? Well, we, well, we, we uh, after the election, we we were we, before the election, we were sort of mildly bearish, and after the on rates, I expecting higher rates and a, and a stronger economy, uh, um, and then basically uh, after the election, we reinforced that uh, quite aggressively, and we had the idea that ten-year yields might go uh, uh, to 3% and higher. And to be honest, because there's nothing has happened, uh, we've had to bring our forecast down. Uh, so we, we are much more con- conservative now in terms of how high rates can go. And in addition to that, because the Fed has been a bit more aggressive than we might have expected, and some of our forward-looking indicators on growth are not so good, uh, I can fully understand uh, this tactical rally that's taking place on rates where you're forcing out the short positions that are there. You know, we think 10s near term can probably go down to you know, close to 2%. Obviously, you know, we assume France isn't going to be a disaster, but, you know, there's no no mistake. I mean, if France goes the wrong way, it is a yeah. disaster. So, uh, you know, there's a small, small risk of a, a terrible event. A question for Global Wall Street. We're honored, folks, that you listen to us every morning. Which spread full faith and credit U.S. Mm-hmm. does Dominic Constant watch? I quote the twos, tens, vanilla, the difference in yield between the 10-year and the two-year. But what is the pro watch? What do you watch? Well, I kind of like, you know, the five-year in a way because it sort of trades around a lot more because you don't just capture uh, the sort of, uh, you know, the very near-term sort of rate outlook, but uh, you're obviously capturing to some extent where you might expect terminal funds rate to be. So fives, tens, fives, thirties, I kind of... Five, tens, five, thirties. Yeah, yeah. This is great because David Gura, Tony Dwyer, looks at the three-month five-year, which is very different right now than the twos, tens. It really shows a flattening versus the... Two cents. What is the five ten? I've never looked at it. I'm going to do that right well, now. What is the five well, ten look at? Well, well, it's sort of. I mean, you're you're sort of assuming tens thirties is fairly stable, and so five tens is going to be, um, for example, sort of capturing some um, you know long term rate uh, term premium sort of concept, uh, and then the five year is sort of you know where the Fed is sort of. Going more or less, sort of thing over the over a sort of full cycle, and obviously uh, something like two times ten minus five gives you a five year five year, and that's really interesting because five year five is quite volatile. So that's a five year rate, five years forward. Uh, and uh, if you look historically, when you finish a, t- a, a tightening cycle, five year five is pretty much you know sort of on top of, if not through, because perhaps they've overdone it a bit. Uh, so um, that's ranged, by the way, uh, from anywhere right. sub two to as high as you know you know four and a half, almost four and three quarters in the last couple of years. Do you realize a guy in Route 24 in Massachusetts just drove off the road? There were so many numbers. He's he's updating his large fat. He's updating the monitor. He was near the Dunkin' Donuts there, right by the... You come north from John Sylvia's Fall River and there's a Dunkin' Donuts. There's a car off the road on Route 24. There was enough enough jargon in there, David, to keep us all going. The podcast will be that one minute. We're running out of time. Thank God. With Dominic (laughs) Custom. There you are in Spreadsworth. I'm going to put the five-year, ten-year out on Twitter just to shake things up uh, this morning. Worldwide, with Jargon, with Dominic Constant. Right now, the warm body in the room is John Stolfus of Oppenheimer. 
uh, and a company. As we look at Goldman Sachs and Bank of America earlier today, what is the belief in the financial sector right now? Well, we, we've got to think that what, what's coming in, we've seen some improvement in, in terms of the NIMS, the, the net interest margin spread uh, in, in what, what's being reported, a, bet, a little bit better than expected. We'd have to think that uh, if if we get uh, some recovery uh, in terms of the the progress of, of normalization of interest rates, that'll even get better moving forward in the quarter. But right now, of course, the, all that progress that we saw for the first quarter may be taken back with interest rates falling again. When you look at these bank earnings, are, are you seeing the, the, the formation here of a broader theme for, for first quarter earnings, or is this something sort of uh, germane only to, to these banks? Well, I, I, I think if the, there, there is something uh, among the banks right now, it, it's that uh, bond trading has picked up significantly, and I think that probably reflects some of the changes we're just seeing in anticipation by investors, portfolio managers, considering what's coming up ahead. Uh, I, I think the Fed remains committed to the process of normalization. It's a needed process. If the administration ever gets to do some fiscal stimulus, we'll, uh, we'll be on the way there, and that will be uh, further healing, less pressure on the Fed to hold up the economy. Give us the John Solstice outlook for, for the first quarter earnings season more generally. Are you are you optimistic here that uh, we're going to get good reads? Yeah, you know me, David. I'm, I'm still optimistic, still <laughs> bullish. Right, Been ever. bullish since 2009. Yes. It's like a, a hardened well, bull. Well, are you as lonely as you were or... Or do you see people coming around? Uh, that's that's one thing that does concern me is I, I see more people moving to our side of the boat all the time uh, as we, we move forward. But yeah. there's still enough hef, uh, is a healthy <clears throat> skepticism yeah. to make us feel pretty comfortable. But we, we think, you know, there's a yeah. good possibility we'll see earnings growth of around 9% overall. Yeah. For the S and P five hundred, I, I was off for a week last week. Good uh, for you. My, you know, it's the first time since two thousand three. Yeah. And uh, you know, I took a I took a vacation. I went to Brooklyn, and uh, you know, I'm having a kale juice over there at a place that David Gura mentioned. And somebody said to me, "How do you justify consumer stock multiples that are nifty fifty like?" Explain yeah. to you know our global Wall Street audience and those mere mortal, how do you buy something that's trading at 27 times earnings? I, I, I think what it is, Tom, is that, that it is that the, the post-Bernanke uh, 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 reign is, is essentially we're still in an environment where everything is relative, and relative valuation tells you that uh, the bond market is very little competition to stocks. I think after almost, uh, well, nine years of, of, of the process of, uh, of a bull recovery market, uh, many people who had stayed on the sidelines are finally looking at the rule of 72. You look at your return. If you got a 1% return, uh, you divide it into 72. It'll take you 72 years to double your money. The effect of that means if you have any kind of objectives, perhaps you should be looking at stocks if you haven't yet. Uh, I, I don't think we've got froth here. I don't think we've got really significant animal spirits. I remember the, 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 the tech bubble too well. Mm. Uh, and in that in comparison, there's no comparison for me, at least at this point. So we'd have to think you pay a little bit more in multiple. The the average uh, 12-month trailing multiple for the S&P 500 all the way back to the end of 1965 at 16.3 times. Current trailing multiple, as I recall, is around 21 times. So that looks high. But the average yield of the 10-year Treasury all the way back to 1965 is about 6.4%. Mm -hmm. Versus last I looked, no. I think we were 2.2%. David, can we rip up the script? Yeah, shred this it. Shred cool. it if you want to. 
Bruce Langhorn just passed away. You don't know who he is, folks, but he played, he died at age 78, a wonderful life, and was one of the great folk musicians out there. He worked with Bob Dylan a million years ago, and John Stolfus with us with Opco. John, he was Mr. Tambourine Man. Wow. You and I were just talking about yeah. Roger McGuinn, yep. mm-hmm. and the birds took yep. Tambourine Man and made gave Bob Dylan his first paycheck. Yeah, they sure did. But that was the scene back then. Oh, yeah. Uh, within the acoustic music that you and I were talking about, there. most certainly, I can I can remember seeing the birds way back in in the uh, in, in the mid seventies yeah. in Central Park uh, when they were in full regalia. I mean, they had the they they had uh, it was white with the the the, the Telecaster with the yeah. string bender on it. David Crosby yeah. was a skinny guy at that time. That's right. That's very good. Yeah. Well, it was a very soulful that. period. Good morning to Roger McGuinney for listening. <laughs> down in Florida. Anyways, uh, we digress here. Let's get back to the equity uh, markets here. The fact is Dow Mm 20,600. There is a resiliency to equities. What's the why of the resiliency to equities right now? Tom, I I think it's the functionality of equities, the potential for uh, dividend income, uh, total return with potential for capital appreciation in a world in which it looks like uh, inflation will be kept in check by things like uh, robotics on the factory floor, algorithms in the offices, the process of globalization and technology uh, continuing to develop, creating added competition. And so I think people are looking, if they have objectives uh, in their lives, whether it's to leave more money to their favorite university or to their children or to provide for a retirement, the functionality of equities will likely cause people, in this near term, they're already doing it, paying more for each dollar of earnings. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, for, for us who remember the real estate market in New York in 1978, you could buy an attractive uh, a penthouse apartment in midtown New York for $78,000 mm. that today would be worth probably <laughs> six to $12 million. And that is a function of demand. I'm not suggesting we go to, to, to multiples like we had in the tech bubble, but perhaps living with a trailing 12 multiple of around 21 to 23, 24 mm-hmm. may be a reality for a while here while rates stay so low. Yeah. Well, David, jump in. Do you realize uh, we had Professor Gura on yesterday? I, I actually I, heard him. I, I heard your dad. I yeah. them, this is, Do you know he wrote the definitive book on Martin Guitars? I had no idea. So it was the history of that company. I remember very well, I was a kid, we were on a road trip, and we stopped in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, and they said, we've got all these records, Professor Kirk, come and take a look. They opened up a big vault, and literally every (laughs) record book from the founding of that company was in there. So it's actually a very cool business book because of the... You know the, the the registry that they had, all the wood that he bought, all the David, parts oh, that he David, bought, and made. So John Stolfus and I don't care. Did your father get a D forty five? He has he a double O eighteen. Double O eighteen is his very <laughs> sweet guitar. Double O eighteen. We're, we're digressing yes. here with John Stolfus. Get back. Let to me pull us back to let me pull us back to these uh, to these Goldman earnings, and, and maybe we can use that yeah. as a yeah. point here. They're citing <laughs> political uncertainty as a, as a big problem when you look at equities trading. When you look at fig trading, uh, a comment from that report is: despite global equity prices generally increasing during the quarter, equities also operate in an environment characterized by political uncertainty, low levels of volatility, and low client activity levels. Help us with the, with the volatility component of that first. Well, uh, the big thing with the volatility is the VIX has, has, has been remarkably low. I think last week we had about a 24% 
up, upward uh, a spike in the thing, but still it's way off uh, the 2015, 2016 highs that we saw in the VIX. And I think, I think a lot of that is that the market itself – uh, which in its its own collective, I wouldn't say collective wisdom, but in its collective uh, assertion, mm. uh, is really looking at greater opportunity uh, than risk here. And that is because we are in a period, it would appear to us, of overall expansion, not just the functionality of equities, but a global recovery, a U.S. economic expansion that appears quite sustainable at, the, at, at, at these levels, with an opportunity to get a further boost at some later date from all this fiscal stimulus potential from uh, uh, whether it's infrastructure spending or repatriation of, of uh, foreign profits by U.S. multinationals, reduced regulation. There's, if, if Washington can ever manage to bridge the aisle uh, and work together, uh, we might even see but e even more positives coming across. But all the work that the Fed has done, we believe, so far has paid off, and the next step really falls to fiscal stimulus. Yeah. This has been wonderful. John Stolfus, thank you so much. Brought to you by Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, dedicated to bringing our clients insights and solutions to meet the challenges of a transforming world. That's the power of global connections. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated member. SIPC. Uh, joining us now, someone who is so much in the news of the politics of the United States, Anthony Scaramucci, of course, working uh, with the Trump administration. I've got to get to the to the question. Everybody that's a supporter of the president in around Republican politics, have you been offered a further position uh, from yeah, well, the White House well, and from so, the president? So my my status is still unchanged, Tom. Uh, I'm about five or six weeks away from closing my deal with H your transaction with the transaction, Chinese group, yeah, right. exactly. And so I've had several meetings inside the White House and several conversations uh, with Jared and uh, Ryan's previous, right. our chief of staff, as well as Steve right. Bannon. And so, again, I don't want to sound overconfident, but I do okay. think that there's a number of roles that need to be filled. And I think I can fill one of those roles uh, shortly. Okay, I want to go serious here. Do you watch Saturday Night Live? <laughs> I do, yeah. Okay, you watch Saturday Night Live. Yeah. It's a joke. I get it. I'm I getting laugh. old, though, Everybody... so I do watch it on Sunday morning. That's so okay. That I do the same thing. Everybody laughs about it except this isn't funny. Are we seeing a more stable White House where we get away from the skits that we see on way, Saturday Night Live? Uh, way, way, way more stable than the external uh, optics look. Uh, in fact, what, what, what tends to happen now, because we have so much media, so many cable stations, so many people piling into the press pool, uh, that stories have to be generated. And so I think you'll find that the group is way more stable. I think Jared and Steve get along way better then people want to suggest that they do. Not saying that people are not scrumming with each other from time to time. How could they not in a super intense I'm reading a, environment? I'm reading a book on FDR right now. David Gura, I'm sorry. They were doing it back in the <laughs> when we were fighting a serious Which, which book war. are you reading, Tom? Uh, Larrabee. Larrabee, uh, yeah. Stravita said, just shut up and read this book. And I'm reading it. It was either that or the history of North Carolina State football. Listen, listen I didn't to know the which admiral. way to go. Stream David, jump in here with Mr. Scaramucci. 
Anthony, help me with, with who's running the, the economic show within this White House. Now, you have Kevin Hassett named to head the CEA. You've got uh, Gary Cohn, of course, mm -hmm. as well, Stephen Mnuchin. Uh, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of big names, a lot of big personalities. Who's, who's really uh, at the front and center for that agenda? Well, listen, uh, the president is at the front and center. I think everybody has to recognize at the end of the day he's going to drive the economic agenda. He has a great sense for where he wants to take the tax code. Uh, I don't think you see the infighting there. In fact, I worked at Goldman Sachs with both Gary and Stephen. These are very collegial guys. These guys know how to get along with each other and to coordinate policy. And so my guess is, is that that's going to go better than people expect as well. Uh, if you if you want to think about the taxes for a second and just go back to the health care, I think Stephen was very honest. That Secretary worked out. Secretary of uh, Treasury Mnuchin was very honest yesterday. Uh, we sort of have to figure out what's going on on the health care side before you can really get the full tax reform in place. And so uh, it's going to take a little bit longer than people thought. But is that surprising to anybody in this room? Uh, people in this radio room know that these things take a long period of time. Yeah. It, 18 months to get on, Obamacare in place. seriously, Anthony, does the president know that? I mean, he's learning, he's learning about the timeline of the political world, right? Oh. I mean, you bought Mike Piazza's jersey. You know the timeline of the New York Mets. It's forever, <laughs> right? Yeah, that, well, that jersey's safely ensconced at the 9-11 Museum now forever. Do you see so. a presidential patience developing of the realities of the Washington timeline? Well, here's, here's one of the things I really love about the president. I don't think he likes the reality of Washington. I don't think he likes the sclerosis Fair. of Washington. And so he's a disruptive <laughs> entrepreneur. He's a change agent. I think people elected him to be a change agent. And so I don't think you want him in the stasis of Washington. I think you want him still rumbling through the China shop a little bit and shaking things up. So, so yes, he's making some adaptation. Uh, I think he's working very well. Here's another uh, a breaking news story. I think his partnership with Paul Ryan is way better than people suggest. I think they're working feverishly behind the scenes, up on the hill, mm. to get the coalition together to repeal and replace yeah. Obama. David, Digger, ask a smarter How much does, does that disruptiveness make him difficult to, to work for? We were just talking about the statement on the, the phone call he made to the Turkish president yesterday and how uh, different that was from the statement we got from the, the Secretary of State, from the, from the State Department. The State Department highlighting the fact that there were regularities with that election. The president in his statement uh, congratulating him on, the, on that referendum vote. I imagine that uh, it could be difficult to work to somebody who might be doing something opposite from what you're doing. Well, well, listen, I mean, this has been the hallmark of the president's success. And so I, I spent 15 months with him on the campaign. Uh, he is a guy that will call plays, David, from the line of scrimmage. He's a guy mm -hmm. that's his own offensive coordinator as well as defensive coordinator. So if you're not ready to adapt yourself to him right. uh, and go with the flow with him, uh, okay. if he wants to release his tax returns, guess what he's going to do? Okay. He'll release them. You is he going to want to release him? He's not going. Okay. Dennis I don't think Gartman, he's going to jump right in now, with a question. He, he may surprise everybody and do it late, Dennis, later on in the year. We, 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 we don't know. we got to write your newsletter for tomorrow. Jump in with a, a question for Mr. Scaramucci. My, my biggest question, though, uh, during the entire campaign and, and thus far in the presidency, is the president's propensity to act towards some sort of trade protectionism. Is that going out the door? Is that Has that changed or at, at all, to Anthony? Well, our, our Secretary of Commerce, Wilbur Ross, said uh, over the weekend that this all this protectionism nonsense just isn't true. All the president has called for, Dennis, 
is an equalization of these trade deals. I don't want to take you through 70 years of trade history since the war, but we uneven these trade deals so that we can create burgeoning middle classes around the world. That was very successful. It's led to less violence, more economic interdependence, but it's hollowed out the working class mm. families in the United States. All the president is saying is, Let's true these up. Let's make them more fair. I don't right. think he's looking for protectionism, nor is the Secretary of Commerce. Where are you going to be ambassador? If they give you a job as an ambassador, will you accept it? Which nation would you like to go to? Manhattan. Uh, well, I, I'm going to go to, An <laughs> I'm going to, go to Antarctica because we have, yeah, we have, we're having a difficult time with the penguins down there, Tom. And we got to get our trade yeah, the deal Columbus, right with them, The Columbus okay? Blue Jackets you guys are know not... I can sell ice to the Eskimos. That is the best spot for me. So, somebody get a memo to Scaramucci, David. The Eskimos are in Arctic. You're going to be oh, ambassador yeah, to the yeah. Arctic, <laughs> and it's melting. Good luck with that. Anthony Scaramucci with us today. Uh, of course, he's uh, looking for a closing of a transaction with his Wall Street firm and maybe uh, further employment by the Trump administration. Thank you so much for being with us. It was a great moment for Bloomberg Surveillance. In all of Bloomberg uh, Radio, Ken Pruitt uh, and myself ringing the bell of the New York Stock Exchange. I get upset with talking about Ken with Charlie Pellet and all of Bloomberg uh, Radio. And today, as he did in 1903 when they had the first bell of the New York Stock Exchange, Dennis Gartman. Well, it, Dennis, it's really cool. I mean, you're it down there cool. on the ramp, and yeah, you know, cool. you go down, you go down there, and you ring the bell, and Kenny Polcari throws something at you. Hope you throw. It was, a, it was a true piece of work. Yeah, a barrister. Why are you ringing the bell of the New York Stock Exchange? Is this it, because UNC took the final uh -oh. floor? You would have to bring that up. <laughs> you would have to bring that up. Better him than me. That's okay. Um, no, it's actually the third anniversary of our of the two ETFs that I have listed on the New York Stock Exchange, gold, euro, G-E-U-R, and gold predicated in yen, G-Y-E-N. They have lived for four or three years, Yeah. and we're celebrating the third year anniversary. I made a joke, David Gero, that Gartman got two calls in a row right, and they said you get to ring the bell of the exchange. How have you been doing? Actually, I had one call in a row right. Okay. okay. How have you been doing at your calls in this crazy stock market? Actually, I, I trade only for my own accounts, so I think that that's important. What I write in my newsletter is what I do, and I'm up 5.9% for the year, so I'm doing okay. Do I get things wrong? Oh, you betcha. Do I get things wrong often? Oh, absolutely. I think the important thing is not to stay wrong, and I try not to stay wrong uh, for a very long period of time. The only thing that will take you out of this business is getting something wrong and adding to it, doing more of that which is wrong. I have a very simple uh, idiom, which I think makes on, uh, a lot of sense in investing. Let's do more of the things that have been working. Let's try our best to do less yeah. of the things that have not. It's very. If you do that in life, you'll succeed. If you do that in investing, you'll succeed. Let's talk a bit about the dollar. Uh, we didn't get to talk about this with Andy Scaramucci, but yeah. to the Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin quoted in the Financial Times yesterday talking about the strength of the dollar. We had the president talking about that uh, last week. What, what's your sense of the direction of the dollar right now? I think it's still a bull market for the dollar, but it's it clearly you have a, a discussion going on within the administration that I think the, 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 the dichotomy of the, of the people there is confusing to the market. Uh, it was nice to see Mr. Mnuchin come out and say that a strong dollar is, in fact, in the benefit of the United States in the long run. But then he came right back again a few minutes later and said, what is the long run? And perhaps in the short run, we may have to diminish the value of the dollar. I think they're confused as to what they would like to see the dollar do. I still think it's a bull market for the dollar. I think on balance you want to be long of it, all things being otherwise equal. 
But today, for example, the surprise news of a, of, mm. of a U.K. election has given a bid to the euro and a bid to sterling, a strong bid. The dollar's gotten very weak in the last three or four hours. Very interesting. Let me reprise a question I heard uh, somebody ask Tom yesterday. We do these Facebook Live uh, videos a few days a week, and somebody asked why the yen is such a good safe haven right now if, in fact, it's so close, so proximate to what's going on in, it, in it, North it, Korea. I, I think the only thing that you can say is that because it is proximate to what's going on, it, it should be contrary. You'd think otherwise. Yeah. You'd think money would leave Japan. But perhaps what this, what's really happening is Mr. and Mrs. Watanabe, because they're fearful about what's going on, are saying, I want my money coming home to me rather than send my money abroad to somebody else. You would think money would leave Japan, but I think the actual rational explanation is money is going home because of fear rather than anything else. Does it make sense? No. Should it go the other way? Yes. Is it going the way of a strong yen for right now? Mm -hmm. Yes. Much to my dismay. The shorts are humbled. I guess we've come down drastically from 21,000, but we just can't get the gloom going. No. Why is that? Cherry Ellen? No, I think it's because the, the business community out in the United States really is feeling better. If you if you get out of New York, if you go to Virginia Beach... No, we wouldn't want to do that. No, you, okay. really, you no, need no. to do that every once in a while. If you'd you have to, to get a license, it would be... If, if you go to Peoria, if you go to Cleveland, if you go to Sacramento, California, there are help-wanted signs everywhere. Business is actually doing better at the base. And I think that that's what's going on in the stock market more than anything else. Is it surprising to me? Yes. Do I do I think share prices are extremely overvalued? Yes. Are price to earnings multiples extended to the upside? Yes. Then what do you buy within the land of 26 multiples? You're, you've heard me say this before, and I'm, I'll say it again. I'm an old guy. I like old things. I like the simple things that are incumbent in, 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 in infrastructure and economic growth. Give me steel, which is now back after having fallen almost 30%. I want to own steel this morning. I'm going to buy steel for myself. I want to own ball bearings manufacturers. I want to own cement. Right. I want to own simple With, things. Within the synthesis of your research note, and folks, it's interesting, page one, if you read it for long enough, there's page one, page two, there's page five and six. Yeah. On page five and six is where you talk about the broader, bigger picture. Yeah. Does Dennis Gartman believe in a resurgence of the great commodity cycle that we saw starting with China 10 years ago? I hope. I don't believe hope it. Doesn't yes. count. No, you hope doesn't count. count every once in a while. I hope. It looks to me like some of the some of the major commodities are trying their best to make lows. It doesn't look like the grain market wants to make You can't bet it. it right now. But I'm not going to bet on the long side. See right how now. we got red corn or winter wheat or whatever the hell he trades in here? <laughs> hard you red got winter, the grains. Hard red winter wheat. Is that what they use in Budweiser? No, I don't even know. No, they use barley in Budweiser. Oh, okay. Hard red winter wheat is what goes into bread. It, 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 is, the, it is the grain that goes oh, into okay. bread, whereas that's what's traded, used to be in Kansas City. Soft red winter wheat is what goes into cakes, but that's the more dominant futures contract is soft red winter. It doesn't make any sense. You don't know it what goes into Cheez-Its? No, I have no idea what goes <laughs> into was... Cheez-Its, but I can tell you I'm not eating any of it. <laughs> David Wilson and I were talking pretzel, Snyder pretzels yesterday, yesterday, and I just thought... You know, we could talk Cheez-Its because that's what I feel like right now. We should so. come back and talk housing. We're going to get these. We should talk housing. Yeah, housing so we'll with Dennis. That. It is a famous Gartman phrase. He likes to buy things that if they fall on your foot, they hurt. I Maybe is a bell today going to fall on your uh, foot? I mean, there's a... Now it probably <laughs> shall. <laughs> it shall. <laughs> it shall. It, it, worse, yeah. I'll probably ring the bell and it'll fall on somebody else's there foot. You know? Away from housing starts, we've got industrial production, which is a classic Gartman series. Yeah. It's about things that fall on your foot. Why do I care about stagnant industrial mm. production if I'm in a service sector economy? I'm not sure that you're in a service sector economy for all intents. I mean, we're still building houses. We're still building roads. We'll still build some bridges. We still make some steel. But no question, we are more of a service sector economy than we were 15 years ago. But we're still going to make things. We still need to have cement. We still need ball bearings. We still need steel. We shall for the next 500 years. 
you always follow gold. Here's a question about gold. You talk about it in different denominations. You're looking at it's sort of ones predicated uh, on on non-U.S. dollar terms. Yeah. Why does that matter? Help me understand sort of the, the because, distinction because there. What that matters. To people like need you. to understand that when they buy something, if you buy soybeans, you bought beans, you sold dollars. You've made the you really have made the predicated bet that the dollar is going to weaken. You'd rather own beans than than dollars. If you buy crude oil. You've ex effectively made a bet against the U.S. dollar. You've really made a bet against the U.S. dollar when you're buying gold. Mm. I mean, it, it, supposedly, they, they are two different currencies. Gold gets priced in dollar terms. I'd rather own gold in, in currencies that I think are going to fall in value rather than currencies that I think are going to rise in value. There will be a time when I will have no interest in gold in euros. There shall come a time when I'll have no interest in gold in, Euro, in, in yen. But right now, I do think that the, the yen's probably going to continue to weaken. The, the, the euro's probably going to continue to weaken. And I'd rather own gold in currencies that, are, that I think and that have been devaluing rather than evaluing. Naive question. Thank you for answering it. Let me <laughs> no, it's not a naive question at all. We get that question all the time, uh, even from the most sophisticated investors in gold who say, why should I do mm. that? There is a rationale. There is a reason to it. We were talking at the top of the show about the, the elections coming up. Now in the UK, we yeah. also have elections in France as well. How are you positioning yourself ahead of uh, the French election? Frighteningly. Uh, it, it, it is very confusing because two weeks ago, it was almost a given that Mr. Macron was going to be first or second, that Miss Le Pen was going to be first or second, that both of them shall move to the, to the second round runoff, and that probably Macron was going to win. Now you don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, Macron has, has come out of nowhere to almost tie them. Mr. Fillon has come along quite some way. He would be my preferred candidate. He fell off the edge of a cliff with his, with his own, uh, of his own making. But suddenly, the, the, the polls, instead of having 10-point disparities, are suddenly narrowed to three-point disparities. You don't know who's going to win that election. You don't know who's going to go into the second round. And you don't know who's going to win, end up being the, the next French president. Two weeks ago, you'd have said it's over. Now you can't say that. Confusion reigns. How about Tom? He's headed to D.C. this, this weekend for the, uh, the IMF spring meetings. What's your sense of how this administration, this new administration, regards multilateral institutions like they don't that? Regard is, there going to be, is there going to be some worry in Washington? Yeah, about there's going to the, be plenty of worry in Washington. I, I think you'll end up seeing this, this administration has no respect whatsoever for the IMF. And if, I wouldn't be surprised if we walk away, well, straighten our jackets and say, you all can do what you want to do, but we have well, very little interest. Let me ask you a question that will ring your bell. Mr. Scaramucci <laughs> just darkened the door, and he's, of course, talking his book, and he's talking the book of the administration. I get that. What do you sense living where you live somewhere? Where is he? Northeast of Chapel Hill, David Gura? <laughs> I can't remember. But, but you know, you cannot help yourself, can no. you? You, have to you are away from the... I've given him all these lines in advance. You are away from the oddities of New England yeah. and New York and the other sanctuary cities. What is the support of our president among those that at the margins supported him but seem to be wavering? What do you what, sense about that? I, I sense that the support is stronger now than it was then. And it really? Is yes, and it's really fascinating because the president has made 180-degree turns on a number of issues, yeah. and yet his supporters are—, are Admire him for having made those changes. So I think you, I, I think in Virginia, in North Carolina, in Ohio, where I have some expertise, I think the support levels are the support capabilities and, and levels are stronger now than they were then. Truly, do you predict that for the rest of this term? Uh, the trend, a, a, a the trend is there. The trend is there, but the, what what is disconcerting to me is that he has the capability of switching on a dime, and and, and he has done that many many times. He may switch yeah. again. 
Confusion, as I like right. to say, breeds contempt. But right now, yeah. confusion is, is breeding support, which is unusual, right. and it can may continue. If you played golf with the president, he's played with everyone else. No, I have not played golf with the president, and my handicap has gone from five to nine in the course of a year. I'm not playing nearly <laughs> enough golf. And I won't, I won't ask why. It's your <laughs> hands, I right? That's I can't putt a lick. Yeah. I can't putt a lick. Well, I would suggest maybe it has to do with the politics you're writing about. It back that's that's the putter. Uh, <laughs> have you been right on any calls this week? Can we leave this positively? Yes, I've been short of crude oil for the past week and a half. I've been I was short of stocks until yesterday morning, uh, and. Uh, for the first time in a long while, I'm actually buying soybeans because I think you're starting to see a bottom there, but not, right. not a dramatic one. Well, congratulations. Ringing the bell of the New York Stock Exchange today, Mr. Dennis uh, Gartman, who's given us great support uh, any number of uh, ways here. Why don't you bring in the administrator, please? The biggest problem with small business administration is you want to call her secretary <laughs> or, you know, senior executive chairman, vice president, some go. fancy it's, title. It's, it's a cabinet it, job, but it's administrator. We'll, 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 we'll wrestle with the title administrator and see what we can do. Dave. Linda McMahon joins us now, administrator of the Small Business uh, Administration, joining us from our Bloomberg 991 studios in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, administrator McMahon, great to have you uh, with Thank us you. here. Let's talk first about regulation. We hear, we hear a lot of conversation centering on uh, what Dodd-Frank means for, for the big banks. You're not dealing with, uh, with the big banks in particular. That's not, uh, not your purview. How similar are the regulatory challenges between the big banks and the small businesses in this country? Well, let me sh- let me share with you what I know and what I have uh, dealt with in um, in speaking with a lot of the small businesses around the country. You know, heretofore, community banks were the ones who really provided the capital needed for startup companies, and uh, the community banks were the ones who knew the people in town. You know, the local nail salon or the barber shop or the dry cleaners getting started on the corner, and often they were those banks that helped those entrepreneurs get started. Even though they might not have much of a track record, there was a little bit of guts on, beha- on behalf of the uh, community bankers. The, the new regulations tied their hands when doing that, and we've seen a lot of the community banks go out of business or being uh, overtaken by the larger banks, and we've lost a lot of that ability in the communities uh, to have small businesses have that access. So I think that's been one of the negative um, effects of uh, some of the new regulations that have come in under Dodd-Frank. I was talking with uh, with Cam Fine, the president of the uh, Independent Community Bankers of America, a few weeks back. He was at the White House meeting uh, with the president, along with some other community bankers, and he said he'd been offered some assurance that uh, the president was very keen to appoint a community banker uh, to the Federal Reserve, to get that perspective out there. As you think about your role in this administration, how much of it is that, getting a, a bigger voice here for small businesses, be they community banks or uh, uh, smaller mom-and-pop businesses across this country? Well, when President, at that time, elect Trump, asked me to serve, and I was very flattered uh, to, be, to be asked to serve in this position, you know, one of the things that he and I talked about was absolutely being able to uh, build back up, you know, our community bank so that we could serve our communities better. And um, I I would uh, hope to be able to offer 
uh, any of the expertise that I have or any of the information that I garner when I'm out traveling and visiting throughout the 68 districts that um, SBA has its offices. Uh, I will be talking mm-hmm. to lenders. Uh, we'll be having roundtable business discussions. We'll be listening uh, to the community. And I want to bring yeah. all of that information back to the president. Um, Linda, you're one of the few people anywhere within the vicinity of Washington who's actually lived what you do. Down a small path in South Yarmouth, Massachusetts, <laughs> was an ice rink. You probably served me a meatball sandwich a few years ago, but you and your husband, have you, how many years have you guys been married? What, eight, nine, ten years? How long have we been married? Yeah, it's like, you know, it's been a while. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, last August, we celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. That's what I thought. Yeah, I we were we were kids when we met. We've grown up together, and uh, he is absolutely, truly my but best friend in life. General Mattis has done defense. You lived with Spades Small Business way before Connecticut, way before your huge television success. What do you need as a small business at the Cape Cod Coliseum in 2017? What do they need? now when they go down that that small road in South Yarmouth, Mass? Well, uh, that's no longer there, but I know that you're talking (laughs) about uh, uh, clearly, uh, you know, a a comparable situation. And, you know, one of the things that we could really have used was access to capital. You know, when you don't have bricks and mortar uh, to collateralize loans and you're dependent upon, you know, cash flow and you're just starting to build your cash flow, it's one of those things that you... You need cash to build cash flow, but you need cash flow to get cash. Yeah. So one of the things that I always advise small businesses once they're up and running, and I said, look, when, once you start to get good management of your cash flow, that's when you need to go in and ask for a credit line. Because when you need it, it's much harder to get. But build those relationships with your banks uh, so that you can have more of, of a credit line to do your business, but you're going to have to be showing okay. them your business plan. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm out on Twitter at Tom Keen. David Gura is at David Gura. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio. Brought to you by Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, dedicated to bringing our clients insights and solutions to meet the challenges of a transforming world. That's the power of global connections. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated member, SIPC.